I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Mike Swindle. Mike is a lifelong resident of Hendry County, where he grew up and still resides on a family farm. He was appointed to the Hendry County Board of County Commissioners in November of 2013. He served as chair of the board from 2015 to 2017 after being elected to the position by his colleagues for two consecutive years. As a county commissioner, Mike is known for advocating for common sense approaches to improve Hendry County services. He's a constant advocate for economic development, especially in terms of small local business growth. As a landowner, farmer, and educator, Mike has a grasp of Hendry County's heritage, but is committed to moving the county forward as a key player in the future development of Southwest Florida. Mike's life passion lies in his position as the Director of Adult Education and Workforce Development for the Hendry County School Board. Since acquiring the role of Director, he has implemented programs geared towards individuals obtaining certificates in trade work, such as welding, building construction, diesel mechanics, and nursing. Mike's goal is to ensure that the citizens of Hendry County have the opportunity and tools needed to excel and succeed in their hometowns. Hi, Mike. It's so good to have you here with us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So so tell us, how are things out in Hendry County? Good, really good. Um, you know, I'm sure we're all facing some of the same uh, consequences from from the uh, shutdowns of the school and businesses, but overall, business uh, people are working and, and um, doing what we do with regards to rural life. Uh, people are trying to be safe and distance and and follow CDC guidelines and precautions as we get ready to start school and wind up summer vacations and things like that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think um, rural places are are different, right? You guys face some interesting challenges. You have some unique assets and. I know you're from you're from Clewiston, right? Yes, born and raised. Yep. Yeah. That's right. So can you can you talk to us a little bit about Hendry County and just rural communities in general? Like what would you want the world to know about rural rural places? Okay, yeah. You know, to give you a little bit of a synopsis, um uh Hendry County sits on the eastern side of, of Lee County. Um just a little under forty thousand people, two main cities with uh with a couple of uh little um rural boroughs between and scattered throughout the county. Um, within the two cities, we have a um, um, school system. We have a great school system that uh, um, in Clewiston and in LaBelle, where, where students uh, uh, come to throughout the county. Um, you know, it's very indicative of a rural county where we have um, rural populations that live in very rural, remote areas. We, in a lot of those rural areas, we, we have uh, everything from Lack of infrastructure with regards to internet at all. Matter of fact, in my home, and I don't live very far out of town, I do not have internet, um, capabilities. And so I have to buy the little hot spots and have there for my sons and myself and my wife as we need to access the internet and, and do what we do on the internet. And so, uh, so it, it's very indicative though, as you look through Florida and, and rural America, uh, in general. Um, we're very, uh, we're very agriculturally driven economically. Um, most of the jobs that we have are, are agriculture directly or indirectly related, and that that spans from everything from sugarcane operations, citrus, cattle, uh, vegetable, um, some of the niche farming, fish farming, and things like that as well. So, so we're very indicative of a rural community. Um, uh, one one thing that that is very unique about our rural community is, is if you look geographically to how we are located, um, we if if you look on the map and and put a put a Put a pin right where we live in Henry County. 
we are a very close, um, uh, the closest, as a matter of fact, to the to the southeastern uh, Florida coastline. And so we have a lot of population that comes on weekends from the Miami, Broward, Palm Beach County area um, for weekend type getaways. A lot of people love the rural life after after being here in those areas. And so we have a lot of folks that have uh, moved here from that area and made it home. So uh, so we have a rich, diverse culture and background of folks that live in Henry County that make up the, the, the chemical being of what we know as Henry County today. Yeah, I think um, rural places like Hendry County are sort of uh, America's best kept secret, right? It's so it's such a unique place. That's right. Very unique, very rich history. Um, uh, all the way back, you know, to to Captain Henry and the steamboat and the Clusahatchee and moving mail and vegetables and produce up and down. So, and today a lot of the same things, you know, uh, I do a lot of that in my life. I live in a rural area, live on a farm, and we still. Um, do a lot of activities in, you know, in, in nature and eat the swamp cabbage and, and teach my sons to, to cut it and eat it and live off the land and fish and things like that. So yeah, it, it provides a lot of opportunity, um, to stay in touch with nature and our heritage. Yeah. One of the things I'm always impressed with when I've, when I've worked with you out there and visited some of the training programs, um, and in some of the schools is just how long people have actually lived in the community, um, how long their families have been there. And I think, you know, as a coastal community out um, in Lee County, we have a lot of transient population, but that's something that I find really unique. How long yeah. has your family been in Hendry County? Uh, my grandfather on my father's side came to Clewiston after the 1928 hurricane for, for debris cleanup and, and basically never left. So yeah. we're, we're, we're crowding 100 years worth of history in Hendry County in the Swindle side. Yeah, I think that's cool. And a lot of the a lot of the students who... Uh, I've talked to just working with you over the years have indicated even when they leave the area to go to college, their intentions are to come back. Yeah. You know, it's all over the board. You know, you, you, we hear it a lot when, when uh, our high school students say there's nothing to do here. I got, I can't wait to get out of here. Well, when you, but you hear it everywhere. When, when I was in college, you know, in the university of Florida with people that were from the Gainesville area said, I can't wait to get out of here. There's nothing to do here. So I think that's probably a, something that's inbred in the students is to want to look and be and, and and spread their wings and see other things. But, but when you look across the population that we have, and especially in the school district, we have some great folks that move here to teach, but we also, you know, the, the, the young adults that grow up here, they know our community, they know what to expect and they have the long lineages here. And so they're, we feel like they're way more apt to stay here once we get them, you know, into an education to, to be teachers and leaders in the community. Yeah, I think that's why uh, Future Makers Coalition is so focused on increasing the number of skilled workers, starting really with early childhood education here in Southwest Florida, because we know that um, individuals who are already connected here and who um, have, you know, family members and, and have grown up in the communities are more likely to stay. And that's a really valuable asset for businesses. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's right. So, um <clears throat> So tell me, I, you know, obviously the COVID uh, context that we're living in right now has changed everything for everyone. But um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit, what are some of the challenges that you face in Hendry County that you sort of faced over the long term? And then, and then if you want to touch on how COVID is either, is, is, is um, sort of changing some of those 
already existing challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you, the facts and the data are very prevalent and it's readily accessible. And so I, I challenge anyone to, 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 you know, verify that what I, what I'll share with you now. And, and it's no mystery, you know, and, and again, one of the things that's indicative of the rural areas is we have high amounts of poverty. And if you look uh, at Hendry, uh, we, we lead the state in a lot of the unpleasant categories. Um, highest, highest amount of poverty, highest amount of unemployment, lowest per capita income. Um, and, and it goes on from there. And so, uh, when, when you, when you have a county that is like that, it's very difficult, um, to, it, we struggle in all aspects. We struggle with tax base and it's hard to grow a tax base around, um, uh, poverty stricken folks. It's hard to improve, um, living conditions if, if we don't have other layers of support and ways to move them out of that poverty into a better, um, income situation to where they can improve their own lives. So, uh, we struggle with that. And so we don't, we don't have a lot of industry that, that up until the last handful of years have, that have wanted to come here to bring, uh, higher paying jobs to the area so that folks can get off of, uh, poverty and, and the assistance that they're on. So what happens is, is it becomes a cyclical, the, the poverty cycle. And sometimes now you're experiencing multiple generations that are, that are in the poverty cycle and it's really tough to break. Because that's what they know and that becomes a way of life and, and, and ingrained within their own thought process. So part of what I do with the workforce development is try to attack that. And I'm sure we'll come back and speak more specifically to that later. And so as we grow programs that is, that is laser focused on ways folks can get a certificate and some type of training so that they can go to work, um, either within the ag industry or otherwise. Um, we want to do that so that we can create high skill highway situations for folks. And over the last handful of years, we have also now we're starting to see a large glut where there's a huge delta between the, the f- folks looking and wanting jobs that are prepared to get those jobs and the folks looking for jobs. And so the growth that we have had over the last four years has just been phenomenal. But it was because we were in a target-rich environment. There were businesses that needed training uh, of folks with special trained skills. So there was a, quite a bit of a gap there between, yes, although you have unemployment, but it's tough to take someone that's unemployed and put them in a very highly trained position. And so um, so those, the, that's where we were trying to fill that gap. We were well on our way. We're having some remarkable success. And then, of course, the covid um, come along and that what March 17th, 18th and the school system statewide just, just shut down. Um, and, and that did bring a lot of things to a screeching halt. We had a couple of programs that were really, really close to finishing and that would have meant those folks getting certificates and being able to go to work. And, and that was one of the things that was pretty unique to our area too. Not a lot of the businesses shut down because they're either in factory type production or um or the farming and 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 those are pretty safe they're they're isolated they social distance they're on equipment or mechanic in and in shops or whatever they're doing or in the health industry and so our folks needed to complete the training and they went to work the ones that did were able to go to work in in April and May and and we're we're proud of the fact that we were able to finish even with the covid um uh hitting the the entire nation as it did so 
Um, I'm, I'm really curious. You mentioned your work in workforce development and, and sort of like where you were pre-COVID and where things are now. Um, but talk to me a little bit more. You've done some really, really interesting work, you know, almost experimental in sort of understanding what is it, what does it take, um, to, to help individuals that are currently out there in the untapped workforce or to help, um, students who have been, uh, you know, subject to generational poverty. Talk to us a little bit about what you've done to kind of dive into the world of how do you, how do you sort of shift that narrative? How do you bring folks back? Yeah. So some of the tactics that you've used, um, and then some of your, some of the outcomes that you found. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a, that's a great, great question. And we learned a lot. We've learned a lot over the last couple of years. When we first started some of the programs, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't getting participation. And, and that really just, it just didn't make sense to me. Again, we have huge unemployment. We have an enormous amount of folks saying we can't find anyone to work. And, and so I knew that there was a large gap there. And so when we started peeling the layers back, trying to figure out why we're offering programs and we're not getting folks showing up for them. Well, we started looking at things like, well, how are we advertising? How are we getting the word out? And we were putting it on, you know, in the newspaper and, and putting it on the radio. Well, and it just hit us like a ton of bricks one day. The folks that are in that, that poverty cycle, they don't pick the newspaper up. You know, they're not reading the newspaper. They're not listening to the local radio station, you know, to get information. And so, um, what we, what we had to do was we had to start advertising in multiple ways and formats to make sure that the, the message uh, was received by our target audience. And we did that. One of the best things we did was boots on the ground effort. We, we took some of our teachers, we paid them some extra hours. We let them walk to those, the grocery stores, the ethnic grocery stores, some of the festivals, some of the community gatherings and just hand out information. Um, we were giving away free vouchers so folks wouldn't have to pay if they would come in and bring a friend. And I mean, immediately we started noticing our numbers going up and going up, uh, exponentially. And so we got great, great feedback. And then we started asking those folks, where do you get your information? And when they started, specifically telling us, you know, uh, well, we get it at the laundromat while we're there, you know, and, and well, really word of mouth, that's the best way. And so we started uh, sort of employing tactics that was very uncommon. The school mentality for years and years have been, you know, we, we got a school, people will come. Um, but realistically, that number one is not the case any longer. And number two, people have choices that, that do have the ability to go. So we want, we want to make sure that everyone is aware of of uh, what we do, the the training we provide, and and one of the big things that we have done, and and I'm sure we'll round back to this as well. Our future makers have been an absolute phenomenal partner. Again, we've talked about the poverty that we have in Henry County. Well, if if you didn't finish high school and you need to get your GED, uh, we we have to charge by state mandate uh, a fee for folks to come to that class. Well, if you're living in poverty and and you're already not able to pay for groceries and the light bill, $45 cash for you to take a class, it's it's out of reach. You can't do it. And that's a lot of folks were stopping at that point. And so we've received some absolutely phenomenal help from Future Makers, um, uh, H.E. Hill Foundation over in Palm Beach County and also present in Hendry County. Um, uh, Ms. Katie Edwards Walpole, there was a lot of folks, uh, the Henry County Educational Task Force and Foundation, 
um, that a lot of folks stepped up and brought cash and said, we do not want there to be a financial barrier that prevents anyone from finishing a GED um, or, or a certificate. And so now what we're trying to do is just remove every barrier possible um, along those same lines. Um, again, we, we've, uh, through the future makers, we're able to secure some funds. We track our students, and we had a guy who didn't show up for about three days. And when you find out that he, he lost a tire on his car and he didn't have the money to get a tire to get here, we go out, we, we get the tire, we take it, we help him put it on. And so we're doing we're doing everything we can to remove the humanistic barriers or financial barriers to prevent someone from getting to our schools, receive the training, uh, so that so that they can move to a better spot in life. Okay, so that is that's so much amazing information. And I think the the key things that I really one thing I really want to point out is I've heard so many times you know, well, people need to have skin in the game. Students need to have skin in the game. So they should have to pay an application fee. And your application fee is only $45. But you're saying that that appears to be a barrier for students that live in poverty. Well, yeah. And, and let me clarify that. Um, we don't charge an application fee. So some some schools do. Uh, it, it, and, I, and I understand that it takes staff to take an application, process it in this time. We, we are absorbing that cost internal. The only fees we charge are what the state mandates that we charge. And they say that we have to charge them for walking in our doors. And, and if it wasn't for that, I would just remove it and not charge them. So what we're doing is we are just, you know, using funds that are being laid down by supporters. But yes, I'm telling you a $45 fee has caused folks to look at us and say, I don't have it. I'll, I'll come back another time. And, and that's, we're, we're stopping them right there and saying no. No, don't, we're, we, we're not doing that. And, and uh, the support has gotten, uh, the support has arrived at a place to where now we just tell everybody there are no fees and, and we're, we're not, we're, and we just are able just to remove it for everyone. And that has helped. Because you've had it, because you've had enough investment from partners and, yes. and other, other entities to That's be able right. to remove those. That's things. right. The same conversation we're having, I've had with multiple folks. And and if it helps, you know, uh, most folks are, have no problems with being able to support that. Yeah, I mean, I think the outcome, the the benefit of removing that, what is really for so many people, I, I shouldn't say so many, for a lot of people, a small amount of money, right? Removing that barrier, um, if that gets someone to where they can turn a life around and their own children are no longer first generation um, entering into potentially entering into post-secondary education or earning a, a workforce credential or going to college or whatever the case may be. I mean, the, the benefit of that is, is way more than $45, right? So I think it's a, it's yeah. a great, it's a great um, message about how, what kind of investment it can, it takes in order to really start to move the needle. Yeah. Well, and look, and it has long reaching effects. It's, 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 yes, we're helping, we're helping to curtail the, the poverty cycle. We are taking folks, um, and putting them to work in high skill, high wage jobs. On the other end, we have folks that have businesses that now have a closer homegrown talent pipeline that they can lean on and say, Hey, here's what we need. Can you do this? And so there are, there are, there are enormous benefits that are being reached and realized, uh, from what we're doing.
Yeah, it's a much more sustainable model, I think. Yes, I agree. So, and then, then the other thing you talked about was, was sort of changing your method for reaching people. Uh, and I do think that that is a lot of the problem, particularly in adult education and, um, technical institutions. Uh, you know, they're, com- all of the completion rates in those entities are really high, especially here in Southwest Florida. Mm-hmm. But it seems like filling seats is the challenge. So, so you're saying that we really need to change our tactics. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, and, and again, the, the, the target audience for that, uh, they, they don't pick up the regular, um, media outlets that, that we as a school would commonly, uh, use. And so we have to change the tactics and we have to, uh, be willing to go out of our comfort zone and, and reach those students. And, and what we found out, it is a, it is a personal relationship. So, um, uh, when we, when we send, um, our ESOL teachers that are of different ethnic backgrounds to an ethnic community, they have instant credibility, um, and people see them and trust them as to where they wouldn't trust me when I got out of a vehicle there. So just little things like that makes a huge difference. Um, but yes, that's right. It, it, it paid us large dividend. When we, when we started doing that, we were able to reap uh, large benefits from it. So, so tell me a little bit about, um, your, your, you're alluding to some of the demographic information in Hendry County and some of the cultural differences mm-hmm. throughout the community. So tell me a little bit about your typical student in the adult education program. Okay. Well, and it's all over the board. We have a very wide background of demographics. Um, we have a large, um, a large Hispanic population, a large African-American population. We have uh, um, probably the smallest percentage of, of, of white is probably makes up the smallest percentage of the students that we have. Um, but nonetheless, we have that. We do have some Haitian Creole, you know, uh, um, not a lot, but there are a few that, that, that access our services. And, and, and it's all the way across the board. They come in and, and they come to, to learn the English language. And so we put them through the ESOL program. Um, the goal is to get them through the ESOL to where they're fluent in English to put them into our GED program so they can earn some type of uh, a GED, obviously. And then create the clear pathway to where we have nursing programs where they can get a CNA. We have welding programs, mechanic programs, security guard programs. And all those can typically be done within a one or a two year period. Again, and at no cost to them. And, and oftentimes in the evening. And so if they're working a job or if they are working on a farm somewhere, it is possible for them to accomplish all of that. Um, uh, all without having to give up, you know, a job or life or income or anything that they're doing. That that's a, a great example of a flexible program and, and, you know, what we hear a lot about um, some of the things that need to happen in order to really decrease the number of working age people in our region um, that don't have the credentials that they need in order to fill jobs. And obviously the, the impact is both on the person, their family, the, in the, in the community and businesses at large. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, talk to me a little bit about um, some of the successes that you've had in the program or, or a success story for, that you can um, describe that is a little personal. Yeah, well, and, and we've got several, obviously. We had a, we had a, a young lady that came to us, um, and she spoke no English, and uh, or they, had, they had came here on a work permit uh, to work in the agricultural industry. She had children. She put her children in school. She came to our ESOL program. She learned English. 
uh, she uh, went to the GED and actually achieved and got her GED. And then we also uh, simultaneously had an opening within the school that for a paraprofessional. And so we got her tested. She passed a paraprofessional test. Now she's employed by the Henry County School District as a paraprofessional. So uh, making making a livable wage with insurance and benefits for her family. They were able to buy a home and their permanent residence now. So that really is what a, a true example of taking someone who, you know, had, had really no schooling and and but just really wanted to do it and get it done. And she did it all within about a two year period. So we're very proud of that. We have other multiple stories of folks that for, for various reasons, they don't they don't complete school. And they come to us as adults and we teach them, uh, uh, welding or mechanics as trades. And, and then, uh, one of the things that we do is we want to make sure that we don't just teach. We kind of see the whole student to completion of, of the employment. And, uh, and so we've got students that are working now throughout the county and the southeastern U.S. Um, on everything from, uh, farms to oil pipelines doing welding and mechanicking. And so, uh, we're very proud of the successes that we have had. That's amazing. I mean, this, that's life changing work, Mike. So thank yep. you for, thank you for doing that. And, yep. and I think this is something that's really, uh, unique in rural counties, at least in or rural communities, at least from what I've experienced is that typically the community is very well connected. So I know you are a unique human in all of the hats that you wear in Hendry County, but a lot of people, you're also just a unique human. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Um, but you, people know each other, right? And so can you talk a little bit about what it's like to finish a a certification program in a, in Hendry County and then finding a job, getting connected up to a job? What's that, what's that like? Yeah. Well, it, it, we, we, you know, the folks that complete our programs that, that are the high skill, high wage and really want to go to work typically have no problems finding work. Um, two days ago, I had a local employer call me, says I need four individuals right now, um, that, uh, if, that, that can do mechanic work, welding, I'll teach them what I needed to know. Um, and, and I just need folks that I've just gotten a contract and I need to go to work. Um, the, uh, we have one of the most robust CNA programs, um, in, in, I'd put it up against any of them in the state. I've got a phenomenal, uh, teacher that just does a great job. Um, she's very passionate about it. Uh, at the end of the, at the end, we always do a little ceremony for the students at the end and they're crying and hugging her and thanking her. And, and, uh, when those students complete that, several of them do go on and they want to continue in the medical training. But then the ones that want to stay local, they get jobs at the local hospital, the nursing homes, um, uh, the, the, the home, the home health care nurses and things like that. So, you know, the local industry that, that needs our students is just overwhelming. We still have a lot of room to grow. We still have a lot of need. We're not, I'm not happy with where we are because we're still not filling that need. I want to continue to develop that pipeline and, and develop the areas where we're still kind of in our infancy with the different programs that we offer. Um, last year we offered an adult E911 telecommunications course. Um, I think in the news last year, city of Cape Coral had to, had to hire three from out west and pay pay them a, a signing bonus to come be e now in one dispatcher so so we know that that's a, a a large demand area we have a very robust program in our secondary schools that teach that as well um our security guard training 
Uh, it, it's very popular, and there's a lot of great jobs in, you know, starting jobs and security guards pay 13, 15, 16 bucks an hour. So um, if, if you're in a poverty situation, that's huge to get you moving in the direction of, of a better place to be. Um, we also started an HVAC um, program for adults in the evening, and uh, all the students there are, are working jobs somewhere but want to uptrain their skill set, and so they are um, – and so they're learning the HVAC technician skills. And, uh, and we we're just very blessed to find someone, uh, to be the teacher that had done that his entire life. He's a great teacher. He's very passionate about it, but he knows, but he knows an enormous of the amount of the business owners in the area. And so we have other businesses coming in and saying, Hey, can you add along the way? Would they need to make sure they're learning how to assemble ductwork and make sure they know how to check, be, be handle the Freon and do the, the Freon reclamation. It's not Freon anymore, but the, the specific gases that are, that are used in refrigerants. So, so, um, you know, that, that interpersonal relationship that I have, our instructors have with the community and with the businesses is valuable. And, and that's probably one of the big differences between a rural area and a, and an urban type area. There's a lot of business there, but, there's just not a lot of personal relationships and connectivity with, with the need that, that they may have. Yeah. So, so what you're basically saying is that there are a lot of um, jobs that require the training that you're providing. And so if, if folks are thinking about um, opportunities to start careers, um, they should definitely be checking out some of the programs. Yeah. It sounds like there's high demand. Well, there we we have we are in high demand, and the demand continues to grow. Um, the 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 more we get out and do things, the more uh, the more folks learn about the training that we have. The demand continues to grow because we have more and more folks coming. Uh, a good example of that is um, um, there is a a stainless steel special uh, a very specialized um, metal fabrication company that just is moving from Miami to LaBelle. And, and they're anticipating needing six to 10 specialized stainless steel welders a year. And, and, you know, we're, we, we committed that we will work toward filling that gap for him. So, um, you know, the fact that our, our EDC, um, is, is a great conduit to, to working with those businesses and pairing with what training that we're able to offer. And, um, so that's just phenomenal. And, and yeah, there it's unbelievable. That's, that's great. I, I mean, I think, and that's the other thing is that like as your workforce base grows, businesses can feel more secure in, in opening or relocating or, or growing in, in our communities. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, some of the other hats that I wear, you know, we, when we, on the county side, when we, when we do speak with businesses and businesses come in to, to vet a site, they, they always, they worry and they have a very serious concern. And very understandable that are they going to be able to hire folks? Do we have uh, the skill set that we need to be able to hire folks to um, to sustain our business? And and that's we we are we are growing into a position to where we are going to provide that talent pipeline and be able to provide specialized training. Um, no matter what it was, if folks wanted to come in, um, we want to have the relationship and a pipeline with the folks wanting training, whatever the training may be, all the way to. Um, the specialized training that that is going to be de- demanded, uh, you know, a, a large airport uh, would would be a good example of that. And so, as Airglades matures into uh, fruition, um, the, there are some very specialty things. Everything from um, inspecting cargo 
to um, the specialized mechanical things that need to happen on those aircraft. Uh, we're already in conversation with the AIA group to make sure that uh, we stay in front of that, to be able to work ourselves and with our other training partners um, to uh, to make sure that we can provide. And and and, and that brings up a good point. Uh, this week I, I had somebody say, you know, about our competition with our local partners, and I do not compete with any other trainers. We work together. We hold hands. I do it with iTech. I do it with Fort Myers Technical College, um, Charlotte Technical, um, Lorenzo Walker, and Naples. Um, on the east side of us, we have West Tech and Palm Beach State. The, our goal is to educate folks so we can all move to a better place in life. If if there is training that they offer, I'll be the first to tell a student you need to be, you know, at at uh, iTech or at Fort Myers Tech. Um, that that's the goal. So there's no competition there, um, and and I believe they feel the same way. And that and that's why one of the reasons we we have such success. It's not a competitive environment. We have the goal. Of, of training. Okay, so what you're basically saying, I think, um, is that you can complement your programs by collaborating with and being partners with the other training entities throughout what is really, you're describing two large regions. Is that that's, right? That's right. And we sit, we're uniquely positioned right on the edge of two large regions. And, and there is no competition. It's absolutely um, and I've learned a lot. Part of the reason we've grown the way we have is the collaboration and the advice that I have gotten from um, uh, the, the leadership at those other respective schools. Uh, they're great at what they do, and they've been very instrumental in helping us grow into where we are. Yeah, so so I think that that's such an interesting topic, and you know that this is sort of the world that I live in, and that's around collaboration. And Future Makers is a, you know, initiative that is basically a network, a network of people that have a goal to yep. increase the number of skilled uh, workers in the talent pipeline in Southwest Florida. I'm really curious. Um, could you could you tell us a little bit? I mean, you just described sort of those complementary relationships that you have with your other training entities. What other benefits have you seen from collaborating um, that specifically address needs in a in a rural community? Yeah, well, that yeah, that that's a great question. You know, um, when I started, and and when you go when you try to start these programs, oftentimes it takes years years to get a single program started and off the ground. Um, and I knew four years ago that we didn't have years. If we needed to make some effective change that was really going to help our citizens, we had to make changes that were fast, fast changes. Um, and we needed to implement programs with, with lightning speed. And that would not have been possible had it not have been for the, well, and, and, and I'll just say, and I'll just kick it off. The, I was invited into the future makers fold and that's where, um, that collaboration started. And the conversation started there. And, and so the future makers being sort of the, the glue and, and the attraction that brought us all together and then provided the platform for discussions that, that led into, well, you know, if you want to start a program quick, you probably ought to think about this. Well, you need to, you need to think about the, the Department of Education curriculum and, and go down this road. And so that relationship and being able to do that. And again, Mind you, we started with nothing. We didn't have funding. We didn't have staff. And so everything we've done, we've had to grow and take baby steps and make happen. And so, uh, without that collaboration and partnership that was, that was made possible through the future makers, we, we most likely would still be, you know, four years down the road with a GED program. And that would have been about it. 
Okay, so so you're you're talking about four or five years worth of work that you've managed to get to the point that you're at now. That's correct. Because partially because of collaboration. I I would I would say more than partially, yes. Okay. So so would you say that um in your experience collaborating is simple? Is it easy thing to do? No, it's not. And and a lot of people are resistant to it, you know. Um a lot of people think that um that their information is proprietary or again if you've got the spirit of competition where you don't want people to infringe on what you're doing or share your proprietary knowledge or programs that you have done. Um, so no, it's not. And you know what, when you get your nose in the trenches and you're working hard every day and you're trying to, you know, your daily minutia of just doing your job, it takes time. It takes effort and energy to collaborate. But, uh, but I am so proud of the partnerships that we've all formed because we all have the spirit of what, what works for us is good for the region. And, and we were able to lay down any of the, any of the um, egos that we had or proprietary worries and uh, and then and then just be smart about it. You know, if there are trainings that are better left at at a, at iTech and it's smart for me to support that and encourage my students to go there to get that rather than me trying to replicate what they're doing. And with the tremendous expense and finding an instructor with that specialized training, um, no matter where it is. So, so your, your experience is similar to mine. It is, it is, it does take more time and effort to collaborate, but the outcomes t- tend to be much more impactful for the people that we're trying to serve. Yep. I'm curious, how do you think, um, what do you think are some of the challenges to collaboration for rural communities trying to collaborate with regions and other communities around them? Well, well, you know, one of the things, and I, and I, quite honestly, I was, again, I was starting from nothing, so I didn't feel like I brought a lot to the table. I think that it was obvious that I was the main beneficiary, and Henry County Schools was the main beneficiary because we were, I felt like I was sucking up most of the, what was, uh, of, of what was being offered there. Um, you know, distance is always an issue. You know, oftentimes, uh, as we would meet with some of our meetings, you know, uh, it, it was a good half to three quarters of a day. Uh, of work, you know, that to, to have to not work and go there and meet. Um, and, and even though it took that work, you know, in my mind, and, and now especially looking back, what was gained was in, way more valuable than what work I could have ever accomplished sitting at a desk for that, for that amount of time. So um, you really have to wrap your mind around the big picture of what's happening through that collaboration and, and understand that, um, you're not working necessarily for that moment in time. You are building those relationships that that's going to have a large, uh, a larger and, and longer lasting impact on the entire process. Yeah. And that's hard sometimes when you feel like you're in crisis mode because there aren't enough resources and you don't right. have the jobs and you don't have the programs. So, but you're, but I've, I've witnessed what you've done and I've seen how worth it it is to kind of have that long view. Um, but I also, I also see how much work it is. I mean, you, yes. you work really hard and yeah. um, I'm, and I think you do. Uh, I think there's a lot to be gained from collaborating um, even with communities that might have a, a little longer road ahead of them to catch up. Um, the, the speed with which Hendry County has been able to adapt because of the, the ability to pick up the phone and call, some of the folks that have already been down this road it has been really Im- impressive. Um, and, and your determination has played a huge role in that. So I'm going to ask you one last question and um, it's somewhat selfish. 
so if you, you know, I think a lot of times we get hung up in our sort of jurisdictional boundaries, like this is Henry County, this is Lee County, or, you know, whatever our boundaries are. Um, if you were to give advice to an entity outside of your community, to a philanthropic entity, to a business, or to anybody who would want to figure out how to engage more with their rural community or with Henry County in general, what would your advice be? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, uh, well, we could talk, talk for hours on that alone, couldn't we? But you know, everyone has a passion, right? Uh, no matter if it be education or if it's helping curtail the poverty situation or providing employment. And, you know, and I would just say follow your heart, you know, and, and if you had, um, if you had a specific area that you were passionate about, our school systems are always in need of help. Our adult education and our workforce development are always in need of that help. We have a lot of poverty and we have, um, we have an unbelievable amount of population that absolutely depend on, on the food banks in the area. And, uh, I know the Harry Chafin Food Bank and several others, uh, a lot of the faith-based organizations and, and a lot of the, um, lar- larger boroughs, um, it takes a lot and, and they, they provide an enormous amount of food and to, to citizens that otherwise have no ability to do it. A lot of elderly population, a lot of elderly population can't even go to pick up. Uh, and so if that was something that would lay heavy on someone's heart, um, there's ways to, um, help with that endeavor as well. Um, and, and, and you know what guidance, you know, a lot of times if it was someone who just had a certain professional error that, or a specific, a specific trade or skill, I, I learned something every day. And so if someone wanted to work with me to help guide me through something that was needed or, or, or anyone else in, in my arena. Um, uh, basically the way that I, I guess I could answer that in a nutshell is everything is on the table. If folks wanted to help in any way, shape, form or fashion, I know that I either I would be absolutely willing to listen, welcome them or make the connection to where someone, uh, Need, had another niche area they wanted to, to participate in. I'm more than happy to do it because at the end of the day, it's helping our community. And that's what we want to see. We want to see our community um, grow, get better, have the resources that we need to improve the human life and so that we can continue to provide that human uh, life experience of, of what we were talking about to begin with. The, the long generational folks that have been here, um, our kids being here for a long time and, 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 raising their kids in the splendor of what we know uh, as Hendry County. Yeah. So the, the, the only part of that, that I, I wonder about, I mean, you're very unique. You have a, you have a collaborative spirit and I think you see the big picture. Um, you know, I, I do think just based on my own experience that it, it's coming into a place that where you do not live and you're not familiar, there is some, there is a, you can't just pop in and say I'm here to help right yeah. so, yeah. so if if someone were trying to figure out like how do we how do we find the Mike Swindle in our you know rural county right. a anywhere sure. I mean yeah. what do you recommend I you know, mean, and you're right you know again it goes back to the same thing about recruiting students it's all and and keeping students is all relationship based and we've learned that you have to develop a good positive relationship and you're right, you know, some folks show up and there's always a level of, well, what are they really here for? But the only thing I can tell you is, you know, just reach out. 
Um, uh, can I give my phone number? Are you going to do that? Are you going to provide contact information? Yeah, we can provide yeah. your contact okay. information. Okay. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Reach out to, you know, your, your county commissioners, um, or your, your school-based workforce development directors and, and talk to them if there's something specifically that, that someone wanted to bring help or a skill set or a donation or, or whatever that it may be, or just give your time. One of the things that we struggle with is, is finding folks that, that, um, are skilled in certain areas to teach things that we need. So if there's someone that's retired that wanted to teach plumbing or carpentry or whatever it may be that, that would love to do something uh, along those lines with adults, please reach out, you know, so don't, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily monetary or, or any kind of tangible, um, uh, gift or donation. It can always be just a skill set that's also widely, widely needed. All right. I lied. I have one more question. Okay. So if you were, um, if you were 17 years old living in Cluiston right now, what career path would you choose? We, uh, right now, again, everybody's got a heart and a, and a soul and they, they have to go, you know, in their own direction. I think anything to do with health careers right now is going to be huge for years to come and you'll be able to move anywhere and live anywhere you want and be um, uh, an essential worker that always had a, a high skill, high wage job. Right now we have, um, we're, I'll do a little shameless promotion of my own, my own program. We are kicking off a diesel technician program right now. We're investing a little over a million and a half dollars in it, um, to get some of the, we're going to have, I hope, um, we're, we're hoping nationwide that it'll be one of the most, it'll be the newest, most state of the art technological diesel technician training programs around in, in the nation. Um, we've hired an instructor that's got north of 40 years experience in diesel, diesel technician work. Um, and so, uh, those students right now, we've already got companies now wanting to know when the class will be complete so they can start hiring. And, and those, those folks are going to have a choice of folks to go to work for. Um, and that's a transferable skill to where if they want to move anywhere or live anywhere in the nation or world they wanted, they're going to be a diesel technician um, that's going to encompass air conditioning. It's going to encompass welding. Um, we're going to give multiple certifications along the way that makes them highly employable, such as um, first responder, forklift, um, fire response. So you name it. Um, and, and you know what, if we don't learn anything from COVID, that would be a, that'd be a travesty, right? And so we're, we're going to teach them how to be, um, safe in a workplace. Um, and that may be, you never know. Was it an active assailant that's entering our workplace or is it, um, a worldwide pandemic that's now plaguing us and how do we stay safe and, and but yet continue to work and continue to do the essential services? So, um, uh, we're, we're very proud of our diesel technician program. Um, if I was 17, 18 years old and this, you're, you're talking a 10 month from now, you could be employed. Um, with, with this certificate behind you. And, and, uh, we think that it's going to be a phenomenal program and, um, we're very proud of it. But our welding program is, is another great one. We, we went last year, we completed a renovation in our shop. Um, thanks to a local company, Direct Industrial, just did a phenomenal job. And we have, uh, we have a, one of the nicest, largest, best, safest, state of the art technological welding facilities. Um, that, uh, around here in Henry County. So, um, and, and a phenomenal instructor that's very passionate that everybody loves. He's very gregarious and he, he's very knowledgeable and talented. So 
Um, we, we have, we have great opportunity for training, um, and, and multiple paths, you know, quite frankly, that, uh, that a student 17 year old would take. Yeah. And, and all of those things are great options for people who are looking to reskill or upskill right now. If you, if they're looking for a career change, we're not talking a four year program. That's we're talking right. Career in a year, right? That career in a year and, and sometimes less. Every, and that, that, that's unique and we should point that out that it is, uh, it takes a year to complete the entire curriculum. We have folks that come in that uh, they already know how to weld, but they need to uptrain to a certain skill or a skill level or a, a specific certification. Sometimes they do that in four months. And so you, you don't have to stay here the entire time. You know, if you achieve your certificate and you get that AWS 6G weld certificate, you're good to go. You know, that, that's, that's the goal. So oftentimes, and we do, and again, with the flexibility, we have evening programs for welding, for the HVAC, and for the CNAs. And so we, we try our best to be flexible to accommodate everyone. Yeah. I think your flexibility and your ability to adapt has just really gotten you to where you are. And I'm, I'm always impressed. And I love, I love having time to talk with you, Mike. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, is there a commercial? Is this commercial time? Yeah, commercial. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, I, I just want to thank you for your time this morning and for everything you do for Hendry County and for Southwest Florida. Thank you for being such a great future maker. Well, well, thank you. Thanks for having me, number one. And I do want to say thanks to future makers. I, I, I may have underplayed the role that future makers have played, has played in, in the, the success and the growth. Um, and, and I'm greatly appreciative. I, I love engaging in the future maker process and network and look forward to greater things to come. Awesome. Well, I look forward to speaking to you again soon, Mike. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Take care.